Uh, before I start, I just want to give a shout out to all the young, uh, my name tag was made by Natalie, and uh, I don't know what doorway you came in, but I know the young people worked hard to do our name tags, so maybe just a shout out to all of those who... And then I would also submit to you that you just saw the gospel in action a few minutes ago, uh, where Jerry, uh, you know, we heard if you're forced to go one reading, go a second. So you don't have to look far for these teachings. <clears throat> but uh, a few years ago, uh, my mom and dad had gone to Mexico, I think it was like to Cancun for a little R&R &R at one of those beach resorts. And uh, my dad, who spoke French fluently, uh, was not so adept at Spanish. Now this generally isn't a problem, except he loved to try to speak Spanish anytime he was in a Spanish-speaking context. And so my parents, being dedicated Catholics, uh, they wanted to attend Mass on the Sunday morning while they were away. And so my dad goes up to the hotel desk on the Sunday and says to the hotel clerk, uh, ¿Dónde está el servicio católico? With great confidence. Uh, the clerk looks at him clearly confused and says, Señor, no hay, which means there, there isn't one. So my dad asks again, uh, ¿Dónde está, a little slower too, el servicio católico? Uh, so the clerk, somehow sensing that perhaps my dad was not a fluent native speaker, <laughs> says to him, Señor, what, what are you looking for? And so my dad shows him the brochure with the mass times on it, and the clerk lights up and says, Ah, la misa. See, it, it's right around the corner at 10 a.m. Okay. What my dad didn't know is that he was asking the clerk, where are the Catholic bathrooms? <laughs> Which is why the clerk was so confused. And one of the morals of today's story is words matter. Translations matter. And that's why I want to focus on a few of the words, and especially one in particular from today's gospel. Now I want to start at the end of the gospel where we heard the word perfect. And for me, that is such a loaded word. But we hear Jesus supposedly say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now for most of us, this probably got combined with the line from the first reading that says, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And bada boom, bada bing, holiness and perfection became one in the same. And at least in the Christian tradition, so many ideas and practices got built around this. Now the word perfect bothers me in part because of what it's done in my life. But as a counselor, I can't tell you the number of people who come into my office feeling a deep sense of shame, that they are not good enough because they're trying to live up to some ideal of perfection that has been given to them. I think of uh, the cartoon comic, uh, Charlie Brown. Uh, he says, sometimes I lie awake at night and I ask, where have I gone wrong? And a voice says to me, this is gonna take more than one night. <laughs> and many of us, probably at least once a day, maybe more than once a day, probably feel like failures somehow. We're not the perfect friend. We're not the perfect employee. We're not the perfect partner. We don't pray perfectly. We don't parent perfectly. We don't eat the perfect foods, act perfectly, or have the perfect body. 
And if we start feeling too good about ourselves, we might fail at being humble enough. There are so many ways to not measure up. Now, I don't speak Greek, so I needed some help to understand the words from today's gospel. And the Greek word for perfect is the word telos. And while telos can technically mean perfection, its more precise meaning is related to something that has grown up, something that has matured, or turned into what it was intended to be. And so, in short, it's something that has become whole. So instead of Jesus telling us that we need to be fault-free and flawless, I think he's saying, I want you to be whole, like God is whole. And I want you to help others be whole as well. Because holiness is about wholeness. David Benner, who's a Canadian psychologist and spiritual writer, says, spare me perfection. Give me instead the wholeness that comes from embracing the full reality of who I am just as I am. And he says that embracing wholeness, not perfection, is how we get direct access to humanity. So if discipleship has more to do with wholehearted living than it does with getting it right, what might that look like? Now, you've probably heard me mention the name Brene Brown a few times, a great spiritual and uh, writer and teacher. You may have encountered Brene in your life. Uh, but she's dedicated a great deal of her career to naming and framing what a wholehearted life might look like. She says that fundamentally, wholehearted people have the courage to be imperfect. They're compassionate to themselves and other people. They strive for authentic connection and they embrace vulnerability. Now she's got a great book called The Gifts of Imperfection and in it she lists 10 guideposts that she recommends for people to lean into wholehearted living. Each one names something to cultivate and something to release. And these are real and practical behaviors that we can get better at and grow into over time. And as I read these, I thought, you know, with Lent coming just this week, these would make amazing Lenten commitments to maybe try one per week or even one for all six weeks. I won't list them all, and maybe we can put them in the bulletin or on one of our blog posts, but here are some of the guideposts that she offers. Cultivate authenticity. Let go of what people think. Cultivate self-compassion. Let go of perfectionism. Cultivate intuition and a trusting faith. Let go of the need for certainty. Cultivate creativity. Let go of comparison. I mean, what if during Lent this year, we keep eating ice cream and chocolate, but instead try to let go of what people think about us? Or maybe we let ourselves swear once in a while, but we let go of perfectionism or comparison. And for me, this whole idea of wholehearted living is at the core of what Jesus taught because it was what Jesus was taught, and it's what he must have experienced. In Judaism, one of the primary prayers is called the Shema, and it's from the book of Deuteronomy, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with 
all your heart, all your strength, and all your soul. No doubt Jesus said this prayer over and over again. He heard his parents, his family members, and his relatives say it as well. And I'm sure he witnessed it being lived. And then as an adult, when he was asked, what is the most important commandment? He says these very words, love God with all of your heart. And then he adds, and love your neighbor and yourself wholeheartedly as well. A few years back when we were uh, buying, when we bought the home that we're living in now, we noticed some small drill holes in the doorpost uh, of the entrance to our house near the kitchen. And we realized that at some point, a Jewish family had lived in this home. And as is the case for many observant Jewish families, they put something called a mezuzah in the door frame uh, at the entrance of the home. And it's often this small decorative container that has small scrolls in it of scripture passages, one of those being the Shema. And it's meant to be touched as you are coming into the home and touched as you are leaving the home so that you stay mindful to the passages that are in there about living wholeheartedly. And I love that idea of developing physical reminders for ourselves to live wholeheartedly. And maybe that's something we try to do this Lent as well. It could be in our cars, on our fridge, on our computers, in our phones, something we can touch or read that just reminds us to stay awake to living wholeheartedly. I recently came across a spiritual writer named Oshida Moore, who wrote a really good book called Shalom Sisters, Living, Living Wholeheartedly in a Broken World. And as part of her book and her website, she's got a whole page on there that's her manifesto for wholehearted living. And in it, she says that wholehearted living often shows up in small ways rather than these big grand gestures. We bring groceries to someone who needs it. We sit with people who are hurting. We offer kindness or the benefit of the doubt to somebody. And she says sometimes we might get the distorted idea that wholehearted people are passive or mild. She says, no, some of us are quite sassy and pretty spicy. And while we love Jesus, we snark a little. So if that describes you, good. She says that wholehearted people believe in dance parties when we are afraid. We try to see beauty when we look in the mirror. We are creative allies, safe harbors, showing up for people on the margins, building bridges, and tearing down walls. Now she closes her manifesto with this. Wholehearted people promise to never view people as our enemies. When we've been hurt, we look past the pain to try to see the person in order to restore their humanity, in order to tell better stories about them. Which brings me back to our gospel, where Jesus offers what can appear to be naive and out of touch counsel today. Love your enemies. When someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other one as well. Should anyone press you into service for one mile, go for two miles? These words from Jesus, I think, can only make sense 
in a wholehearted worldview where we refuse to see other people as the enemy, no matter what they've done to us. Because at a deep level, I think we know that we cannot be whole until everyone is whole, including the people who have hurt us. Bell Hooks once said that the only way out of domination is love. And I think wholehearted living with all that it might demand from us is exactly what we need more of because the world is not going to change if we keep doing what we've always done. Now, I don't think Jesus expects us to do any of this stuff perfectly or without flaw. I'm not even sure he's shocked if we can only follow him partially. If you've got 25% to give on a given day, I think he'll take it. If you've got 75, he'll take that too. He just wants us to grow into what we are meant to be. Now, I need help with this. Maybe you do too. And so many mornings, I say a morning prayer that goes something like this. Dear Lord, so far I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. And I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. <laughs> and from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. <laughs> We're here for you. That's part of what it means to be community, is to help each other live wholehearted lives. Rachel Held Evans, who has written some amazing reflections on Christian faith, says, anyone who's ever had a substantial impact in the world or on us had three things in common. They took risks, they made themselves vulnerable, and they embraced uncertainty. She said, these are the hallmarks of a wholehearted life. Risk, vulnerability, and uncertainty. This is what we are being invited into as disciples. Thankfully, we don't have to check our spiciness, our sassiness, or our snarkiness at the door. We can bring those along with us. Now, if you're like me, you've been hearing a lot about artificial intelligence lately. It's, it's been in the news everywhere. It's been on my mind a lot. Um, and there are all kinds of stories emerging about how computers are going to replace people or that they're going to become sentient. And so I just wanted to prove that no computer could ever offer insights on the scriptures, like a human preacher. And so I asked an AI chat bot to write me a brief poem about wholehearted living that would make a good closing for a sermon. <laughs> Here's what the computer said. Despite the brokenness that we see, living fully sets us free. To love and laugh and make our way through every challenge every day. So let us live with open hearts and play our part in healing scars. For even in a broken place, wholehearted living brings more grace. Each step taken with love and intention sends ripples outward in every direction. Touching hearts, inspiring minds, bringing healing and hope to all humankind. I guess we should listen to the words of our second reading that said, let no one boast about human beings. <laughs> and uh, just so you know, I did reach out to Reverend AI Chatbot and uh, uh, asked if they'd be available the next time I'm preaching. Uh, <laughs> 
and also if they would be willing to offer some help for the uh, daily Lenten blog. They kindly said that they were not certain that they wanted to partner with a human just yet, as they have a decent reputation that they would like to maintain. 